All right, Romans chapter 2. It's my desire today to knock off a large chunk of chapter 2 today. And let let me just say last week, you know, we've been going through the book of Romans for over a month at this point. And last week we hit a little bit of turbulence. And I wish, I really do wish that I could tell you we were out of that turbulence and that you could take your seatbelt off and you were free to roam around the cabin. But unfortunately, we are still in a bit of turbulence today, uh, and, and I can't promise you we won't be in turbulence next week as well. But it's good for us. God has shaken the foundation of some of the stuff that we believe that just was unhealthy or some of the stuff that's in our heart that uh, really isn't healthy. And so last week, we saw that Paul was dealing with the outward sins. Remember that list that he gave? It was very outward. Today, he's going to deal with the sin of self-righteousness. And let me just go ahead and put my, my cards on the table. I had a lot of repenting to do this week because as I was reading the passage and I was preparing, you know, it's like cooking a meal. When you cook and you taste that food, you know, that's what I was doing when I was preparing this week, preparing to preach. I was realizing the Lord was actually cutting my heart. And so um, I also prayed that the same repentance would happen in this room. I prayed that this morning when I first got up, that we would all walk away and try to look more like Jesus by repenting. Amen. All right, let's get to it. Verse one, we're in chapter two of the book of Romans. All right, pick me up. Verse one. Therefore, every one of you who judges without excuse, for when you judge another, you condemn yourself since you, the judge, look at this, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth. Do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things, yet you do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the richness, riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immorality. But wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be an affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace for, those, for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Underline verse 11. For there is no favoritism with God. All who sin without the law will also perish without the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are a law uh, to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Verse 15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciousness confirms this. Their competing thoughts either accuse them or even excuse them. On the day when God judges, underline this as well, what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. I want to preach today from the topic entitled Self-Righteous People. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. We definitely need to pray before we dig in. Uh, Father, we need you. We, we really do. We, we need you and 
I love the way Daniel 9 says that we don't present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but we present our pleas before you because of your great mercy. So Father, would you hear our prayers today as we dig into this text, expose the self-righteousness in our heart that many of us have. I was bold enough to confess that I have self-righteousness that I needed to repent of all week. I pray that you would birth in this room just the spirit of repentance, not just saying I'm sorry, just to say I'm sorry. But Father, may we genuinely reflect on the dysfunction in our hearts and turn from it because we want to please you. Because we want to look more like you and because we want to walk closely with you. And we don't want to do that holding on to sin and self-righteousness. So, Father, would you convict us today? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Self-righteous people. Uh, Whenever you're sharing the gospel with anybody in an evangelistic moment, there's often two types of people that you're sharing the gospel with. The first person that you're sharing the gospel with is that person that knows that outwardly that they are a sinner. That person that, that they just, you, you don't have to convince them that they're a sinner. You looked at that list last week. Y'all remember the list last week? Envy and pride and arrogance and homosexuality and disobedient to parents and that whole list that Paul lays out. There are some people that you'll share the gospel with that automatically know that's me. I know I line up with that list. And in other words, they have a PhD in what I call is sinology. They just, you ever meet that person, they're just good at sinning. they just out there. And that person doesn't need a lot of convincing that they need a savior. They know that they're wrong. They know that they're out there. So I, I usually, when I'm uh, in an evangelistic moment, I usually like to engage with that person because I don't have to convince them that they're a sinner. However, there's that other person that you have to evangelize to and talk to them about the gospel. And that's the person, the second person is the person that doesn't think they need saving. And the reason they don't need, think they need saving is because they have self-righteousness in their heart. And the standard that they use to say that I'm really a good person, so I don't need any type of savior, the standard they use, the measuring stick they use, is they say I'm a good person based on how whack my neighbor is. And so they be like, I don't cuss, I don't drink, I don't smoke, uh, but my neighbor cheats on his wife and my neighbor cusses and, and my neighbor cheats on his taxes. And so we'll present our righteousness based on somebody else. But can we agree, you're setting the bar really low. And so when I read the scriptures, there's a standard that God gives us, and it isn't based on the lack of righteousness of your neighbor. Try setting the bar where Jesus was and see if you line up in righteousness. And so those are, those are two types of people that you'll often uh, uh, try to, to talk to them about the gospel. Now, chapter one, Paul makes a shift in chapter two, because in chapter one, what Paul did was he laid out the outward sins of Gentiles. Those who are far from the Lord, those who don't know the Lord, he lays out the outward sins. But in chapter two, he shifts from the sin of those that don't know the Lord that are practicing all of these sins that he laid out. And he now shifts the focus to the inward sin of self-righteousness. Let's just go ahead and do it. You do know self-righteousness is a sin. So you think you're not a sinner because you, you know, you ain't out there and you looked at the list and you're like, you know what? I don't really, I've never murdered anybody because that was on the list. And I don't really got a lot of pride, but you're self-righteous. And if I understand uh, 1 Timothy 3, right, it, it says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of two things, of sin and righteousness. You need, some of you don't need to repent of the outward sins. You need to repent of the self-righteousness that you have in your heart. So when I, when, if we understand this passage right, we understand that Paul is 
really exposing that in our heart today. And here's my goal. Here's my desire. I want to unsave the seemingly saved. I want to I wanna expose the self-righteous hearts that are in the room. I want to show you the utter inability to save yourself based on your own good works and based on your merit. And I want to show you, even if you kept the list last week, which you really didn't, but even if you kept the list last week, I want to show you how when you stand before God, you're judged on your self-righteousness just as the person that's way out there in action and in sin and in behavior. And so in this passage, we're going to see that what in context, what the Jews were doing was the chapter two Jews were self-righteous because they were looking at the chapter one people and they were judging them and they were saying, I'm more righteous than them because they, they lack spiritual maturity. And so, he, so what we get in this passage really is Paul coming for all of us in this room. And everybody in this room knows that one person is self-righteous. Don't act like y'all don't know that person. Y'all call them holier than thou. All of us know that person that is quick to call you out on sin but doesn't deal with their own dysfunctions. We all know that person. And if you're sitting here scratching your head going, ah, I don't know if I know that person. You might be. You might be the person, your neighbor going, I'm sitting next to him. And so Paul is really going to get at all of us today, and it behooves us to examine our hearts. I had to get before the Lord and repent all week. Don't walk out of here, take notes, and be like, that ain't me, though. I bet you some of us got uh, self-righteousness in our hearts. Let's deal with the text. Verse one. Therefore, every one of you who judges without excuse for when you judge another, you condemn yourself since you, the judge, do the same thing. I don't know if you've picked this up, but Paul starts chapter two in verse one and lays out the word judge. Three times. Now, y'all know me. Every time uh, I, I see a word or a phrase over and over again, I know that that's the author's intent. He's focusing on that. In verse one, we get the word judge not once, not twice, but three times. And the word that he uses here for judge is a very interesting one. Everyone say crino. Crino is, is the Greek word for judge that he's using here. Now, whenever the Bible talks about judgment, there's usually two types of judgment it's referring to. The first one is crino, which is used here. It's a judgment that's only reserved for God because it's condemnation judgment. It's condemning someone. It's looking at them and be like, that person's going to hell. But there's another judgment that the Bible does say is for the body. And that judgment is more, it's not condemnation, it's more discernment. And so I know you're sitting here going, well, Pastor, you, you're telling me I can never judge what Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 25, uh, verse 24. He says, judge with right judgment, not based on appearance. And so there is a judgment that you and I, in other words, when you get in a relationship, you get in that relationship and you only accept the friendship or the romantic relationship based on sitting back, watching that person's actions and making a judgment. That is discernment. That's not condemnation. And so there's a judgment that we're all free to use. And in fact, I would say everyone should grow in their discernment because you ever get hooked up with somebody. And you're like, I don't know how I got in this relationship. You probably lacked judgment and you probably lacked discernment. But the discernment that Paul talks about in this passage is a condemning one. It is looking at someone else's sin, not realizing you got your own issues. Remember, Jesus talks about this in, in Matthew chapter seven where he says, you see the speck in your brother's eye. 
not realizing you got a log in your eye. See, self-righteous people see everyone else's speck, but we don't see that we got a log in our eye. And if I understand Jesus' words right, the goal of taking the log out of your eye, because we'll, we quote that verse up into a point. We say, we see this, the, the, the speck in my brother's eye. Let's take that out. Uh, but, but Jesus is like, no, don't do that. First, take out the log in your eye. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes on to say, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So in other words, the goal of taking the log out of your eye is not just for you to walk in freedom, but real believers want everybody around them to walk in freedom. And so me taking the log out of my eye isn't for me to floss and then be like, everybody else got specs. No, I need to help you with what you're dealing with. But what we've done, self-righteous people are quick to take and call out specs out of everybody else's eye, but slow to take the log out of their own eye. And so Paul is going to deal with us today. He says, you judge. Three times, you judge. You judge. It's crino. It's a, it's a condemnation judgment. It's not a loving judgment. It's not a, it's not a I want to win them to the Lord. It's they're far from the Lord, and look at me. That's what it is. So Paul deals with us. But notice what he says here in verse 1. He says all this judgment, but he says, since you, the judge, you do the same thing. Which is crazy to me. We judge others and we look at their actions, but yet you may not have those actions, but I guarantee you there's something else that you're dealing with. But yet we call everybody out. In other words, you are you deal with others through law, but you deal with yourself through grace. Why do we extend ourselves so much grace and look at everybody else and deal with them with law and judgment and we pass judgment? And yet, like if you took that energy. And just put it on you and put it on your sanctification and put it on your growth. I just think we would be so much further. So what Jesus does here, he says, you're a hypocrite. That's what he calls you. When you look at others, you're not just self-righteous. You're a self-righteous hypocrite. So I've been waiting all week to ask you this one question. Do you do that? Do you look at others and see how far they are and look at their spiritual maturity and be like, I'm better than them because I don't deal with that. But you deal with something talked about that last week. We do that with homosexuality. We look at it and be like, I don't deal with that, but what you got, what you dealing with, what you bringing to the table? So in the passage, Paul is really going to, he's going to pull on us today. And I, I know you're sitting here and some of you are still sitting here and going, you know what, Pastor B, but I really don't deal with self-righteousness. I, I, I hear you, but that ain't what I deal with. Here, here's, some, here's some signs if you deal with self-righteousness. Sign number one, self-righteous sign number one, write these down. Self-righteous people Talk about the sins of others, but lack repentance over our own sin. Like, do you? I know I have done that. I'm going to just be honest with y'all. I have done that to where I talk about everybody else's sin, but I, and real believers that are maturing, that are sanctifying, that are growing in their walk with the Lord, they grow in repentance. When's the last time you repented, but you've called somebody else out on sin? When's the last time you looked at yourself? And what, we do this all over the place. We do this in little areas, like micro areas, like, you know, we'll look at the girl that comes to work late. And we'll be like, she come to work late every week. And you come on time, but when you come on time, you watching Red Table Talk, uh, Jordan Just Dropped, Jordan Woods. You watching that. You watching that, but you condemning everybody else for coming late. It doesn't matter that you came on time. You killing company time because you're not focused. But we do that. That's micro. We do that with sin. It's like potato chips. Like consider sin as potato chips. 
what we do is we pick and choose the nasty chips. And so we be like, because I like Cool Ranch Doritos, uh, you condemn me for liking that. But you got sour cream and onion all over your mouth. Huh? But that's the stuff we do. We look at everybody else's issues, but we don't deal with our own issues. And so sign, self-righteous sign number one, self-righteous people talk about the sins of others but lack repentance over their own sin. And if you want to know if you're self-righteous, you really need to look and trace back how much you repent. I'm telling you, because if we deal with everybody else but never repent, we might be self-righteous. Self-righteous sign number two. Self-righteous people lack grace when others bring them their sin. When others bring your sin, are you like, if your response is, you still dealing with that? You might, you might be a little self-righteous. If, 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 if all you do... Thank you for that. If all you, I feel repentance happening in the room. And, and listen, we all do it. That's the thing. I was talking to Tasha earlier today, and I'm like, Tasha, we all are so self-righteous, but we will never say it. But that's how we deal with others. People bring their sin, and we be like, oh, that's so nasty. You did what? But not realizing we got our own issues, and so we lack, we lack repentance. Okay, self-righteous sign number three, because I got to move quick. There's more in this passage. Self-righteous people like to parade their good works around. I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but self-righteous people love the approval of everybody else. We love the praises of everybody else. And so what we do is we're like, girl, you know, I had to give her $20 to get that Metro card because we want everybody else to know how good we are. Self-righteous. That's the stuff we do. And we, again, we do that on a micro level. And we do it on a macro level. We want everybody else around us to praise us because what it does is it says, look at how great I am and look at how trifling they are. But real believers are always like, I'm so undone. Look at how great Jesus is. Are you self-righteous? Are you judgmental? Are you hypocritical? And here's the thing about it. We'll all be judged for it. We'll all be judged. You're not just going to be judged for the outward sin that you commit. You'll be judged if you don't know Jesus for all of the self-righteousness that is in your heart. But you think you won't be judged because you've been getting away with it. Because you've been getting away with being self-righteous, you think that God hasn't noticed. But look at verse 4 with me. I ain't got to make this up. Verse 4 says, or do you despise the riches of his kindness? Here it is, two words, restraint and patience. The reason you've getting, you think you are seemingly getting away with it is because God is patient because God is giving you time to repent. God is giving you time to get. I don't know about y'all, but y'all should shout right there because we serve a God that is gracious and merciful and gracious and kind and full of restraint because the reality is he should have killed your butt the first time you were self-righteous, but he doesn't. He gives you time to get it right. And I'm grateful for a God that gave me time to repent and gave me time to get it right. And some of you in here, you walked in here self-righteous. You got time, but don't take his time for granted. Don't take his kindness for granted because his kindness is important. Why? Because it meant to lead us to repentance. He's kind and he's restraining back his wrath on you so that you can have time to get it together. One of my teachers died a few years ago, a high school teacher. And I went to the funeral. I was a really good teacher. I uh, loved him, just loved his family. Uh, his daughter was in the school, and so uh, I knew them well. And so I went to the funeral. When I got to the funeral, a bunch of current high school students were there. 
And I just, at that time, I just had become a pastor. So I went to the repass, and when I was at the repass, I'm sitting at the table, and I'm sitting at the table with a bunch of high school students. And somebody found out at the table that I was a pastor, and so uh, they all wanted to ask me questions about Christianity. Tell me about your faith. They wanted to ask about, uh, I couldn't believe it, they were asking me about the Trinity. And at that time, I'm still trying to form my thoughts, and, and they're asking me all these questions. And it's interesting because half the table wasn't Christians. And so I'm like, man, this is a good time to interject Jesus and interject the gospel. I'm talking about the, about the gospel. And this one girl stands up, and she wanted to prove that there was no God. And so she says, let me, let me do this. God, if you are here and if you are real, strike me dead right now. And I backed up from the table and said, baby, you don't want to mess with God like that. Because, you know, you, know, you know, for God to kill you, he ain't got to do much. He just got to be like that, and you're gone. And so I'm like, you don't want him to send lightning. But I use that opportunity to say the reason he didn't kill you when you just said that is because he is patient with you. The reason he didn't kill you when you said that is because he's full of restraint. But don't take it for granted. His kindness has a purpose. His kindness, look at the text, is meant to lead us to repentance. His kindness is, and we use in, in evangelistic moments, what we use is scare tactics. We be like, turn to God because you're going to go to hell. And yes, that's true if you don't know Jesus Christ. It is true. So I, I don't want to water that down. But at the same time, how much more palatable would it be for you not to say, turn to Jesus or you're going to hell, but you say, turn to Jesus because he's kind. Turn to repent because he's merciful and because he's gracious. And so the Bible says here in verse number four, that it's the kindness of God that is meant to lead us to repentance. And one of the things I love about his kindness is his kindness is not selective. He's not kind to some of us. He's kind to all of us. He's not kind to just the leadership of the church. He's kind to everybody. How do I know that? Look back at the text with me. Jump down to verse 11 because I just don't have time to deal with all of it. Verse 11, for there is no favoritism with God. God doesn't pick it. He doesn't show partiality. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't pick one child over another. God's kindness is meant to lead all of us to, towards repentance. There's not a person in here. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter the outward sin. Doesn't matter the self-righteousness. There's not a person in this room that couldn't repent and God wouldn't accept you. Because his repentance is for all of us. He does not. And, and that's what I love about this because even though the Jews were looking down at the Gentiles' outward sin. God is like, but listen, my repentance is for both of you. You, you. you know why my kindness is for both of you? Because I'm a judge both of you. And what the Jews were doing was they thought that the Gentiles would be judged while they escaped God's judgment based on their own self-righteousness. But here's what I know about the text, and I, I missed over it, but it's important to read it. Verse 5 and 6 says God will judge us. Like you do know everybody in this room will stand before God. We seem to think like we live life like we'll never have that moment. I, I can't tell you how many times I just sit back and I be like, God, I don't know what it's going to be like when I stand before you. But I, I know I'm going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Revelation 20, Revelation 21. I got to stand. Every one of us in here. And here's the scariest part about standing before the Lord. The scariest part about standing before the Lord is he knows all the information on you. There's nothing hidden from God. There's nobody in here that can say, like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be like, God, you know, I know I did that, but that's not really how it happened. And God's going to be like, you just insulted my godness. He's going to be like, Gabriel, pull up uh, uh, March 14th at 2.06 a.m. Because you know how we get at 2.06 a.m. Pull up, 
pull up 206 a.m., and he's going to list it out. And here's the craziest part. When he lists it out, he's not going to list the action. He's going to say, and here's your thoughts, too. Like, this is, like, God is, yo, we treat God like he not, he not going to judge us for action and thought. Like, you may not have did it, but you thought it. And God going to be like, pull it up. There's a big HD screen in heaven. And he's going to list out all of your stuff and all of your sins. All of us, will, there's not a rock you can hide under. There's not a cave you can go into. There's not a place you can hide from the judgment seat of Christ. All of us will be judged. And when we are judged, God will sit back and there's a couple of books. Some believe he has a couple books. Some believe it's the same book. It doesn't matter. But there at least is one or two books. In fact, let's do it. Go to Revelation 20 real quick. Can I teach this morning? Revelation 20. This is what's going to happen when we stand before the Lord. Look at verse 12. I ain't got time to deal with all of it. Just verse 12 alone. Here's what's going to happen when you stand before God. It says, I also saw the dead the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Please notice that's plural. Books were open. Another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged, how? According to their works, by what was written in the books. And so there's a book that's in heaven that, so it's not an HD flat screen. I made that up. There's a book that God will look at that book, and everything that you have done thought or said is in this book from from the day you were born it doesn't matter if you died at 30 if you die at 100 everything's in this book you can't edit the book you can't erase the book you got to stand before the judgment seat of God and he go and that's the thing about God you know we be like I ain't got time for this God got time and he gonna sit there and he gonna just read all of it he'll be like oh in this day you did this and this day you said this now that's one book now there's a second book in heaven and the second book, I love this, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in the Lamb's Book of Life, there is not a list of sins. Only thing it has in it is your name if you've trusted Jesus. Why? Because the cross has acted as a divine eraser. And even though, yes, you have sins, in the Lamb's Book of Life, your name will be in there. And the cross just started erasing all of your sin. And erasing all of your self-righteousness. So I don't know who you are in this room. And I don't know which book you're in. And maybe it's one book. Maybe it's two books. Maybe it's one book that has a list of sins. And if you trust Jesus, he'll be like, well, let me erase that and just put the name. Whatever the case is, which book are you in? Are you in the book that God is going to judge and punish and condemn based on action, based on behavior, based on self-righteousness? Or are you going to be in the book where you'll be like, I know I did that, but I'm leaning on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because if you're leaning on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, only thing in that book is your name. And I don't know about you, but that makes me rejoice because I realize I should be in the other book. I realize all my dysfunction should be laid out. But God ain't going to hear me like, well done, not because you were good. Well done because my son was good and you accepted him. Get on in here. Like that's that's what God's going to do for us. So judgment is going to happen. Go back to uh, Romans. I'm, I'm going to end here. Verse 16. Because some of you in here are like, okay, I, I haven't believed in Jesus. How, how do I make sure my name is in the Lamb's book of life? Just my name and not my, my issues. How do I make sure of that? Verse 16. On the day when God judges what people have kept secret, here it is, according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. The way you switch the books is by believing in the gospel 
believing that Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. That's not like some, this isn't some, just a cute message. This is the message that brings hope. This is the message that brings redemption. This is the message that brings salvation is that I get to be in the Lamb's book of life, not based on my merit, not based on the good days outweighing the bad days. I get to be in the book based on Jesus Christ. And I love Paul's words here because Paul doesn't say the gospel. Don't miss this. He says my gospel because it's personal to him. He says, my gospel, my savior, my Lord, my Jesus, my Can you have that personal same affections for the Lord? Can you say that it's my Jesus, that it's my gospel, that it's my savior? Some of us are too self-righteous. You're leaning in self-righteous, meaning that you're trying to earn God's love, affections, and favor based on what you do. Listen, I've forsaken my righteousness a long time ago. Because I realized to earn God's favor, he ain't just looking for the good days. He's looking for every day to be a great day. And y'all know we done messed up some of those days. We ain't always good. What does uh, Anita Baker say? 365 days of the year. You done messed up at least 300 of them. <laughs> oh, y'all see y'all self-righteous. If you're like, nah, I messed up only 200. Self-righteousness. So we all need to repent today. Here's the repentance that, now I'm going to end here. Here's the repentance that we need. We don't, some of you are only thinking outward sins. I want you to like really reflect on what's in your heart because what's in your heart may not be an outward sin, but I guarantee you it's some type of self-righteousness. We've judged others and been kind to ourselves. Every head bow and every eye close. Father, as we talk about this Lamb's book of life, Father, I pray that every name in this room is recorded in it. Because in that book, Lord, you just not, it's not going to be a long time of us sitting and, and, and trying to confess sin. We've confessed it by believing in Jesus. And I pray, oh God, that we would, we would move and repent of self-righteousness. Pray for that in this room. And I also pray for the one that doesn't know you. They know that they're far from you, not based on action, but based on inherited sin. We know that we are, we are enemies of you. We haven't submitted to your lordship. And whoever that is, oh God, pray for repentance to be birthed in this room. Lord, I know I've prayed this all week, but I I'm, I'm genuinely want to see revival take place in here. And by revival, I mean a sweeping, or just a room swept with repentance. Whether we've trusted you or we haven't, may we all get to a place of kneeling before the cross. Father, I thank you, oh God, that you're gracious, that if we confess our sins to you, you are you are gracious to forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I don't know what that means for some in here. I don't know if that's outward self-righteousness or inward. But, Father, help us. Because we, all wanna, we, we really do want to walk with you closely. And we realize that the only way to walk with you closely is constantly realizing how undone we are and how much we need to repent. Forgive us, O oh God for looking down on others. Forgive, us for, forgive me for being hypocritical. Forgive me for being judgmental. Help me not to beat the flesh of somebody else. Help me to beat my own flesh to bring it under submission. Because at the end of the day, we all, if we've trusted in you, we want to walk and honor you. So help us to be doers of the word, Lord, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. In Christ's name, amen.